Bonjour, dear listeners, and welcome to Defense, the conversation about defense you never knew you've always wanted to have. I'm Dr. Alex Valenti, and I'm here today with Eva Axelson, Chief Sustainability Officer at Saab, to discuss how sustainability fits within the context of defense and how Saab is planning to play its part in this important endeavor. Hi, Eva. Hi, Alex. Happy to be here. Yes, thank you very much for joining. I really appreciate your time today. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you here as my first guest in this new podcast. And it's a pleasure to be here. So um, I I was wondering if you could, to start off the conversation, if you could tell us a bit more about what Chief Sustainability Officer means, because I guess our audience doesn't really know or maybe even suspect that such a job exists in a defense company with like Saab. Mm. Oh, thank you. So yes, it is a quite new title, and, and I would say it's a quite new title for uh, other industries as well. And uh, obviously, I've been doing sustainability for a little bit over 20 years, and uh, with a background from 10 years in finance, I did join Saab in, in 2021, in May uh, 17th. Uh, and the uh, the question then we asked ourselves is uh, what will be our next step uh, when it also comes to uh, strategy actions and then obviously uh, governance. So in the end, uh, I was set with the task as uh, a chief sustainability officer to guide uh, the senior executive team, to guide the board, to guide our businesses of the next steps uh, that we, we do need to take. Uh, that we want to take. Uh, so with that, uh, my responsibility or my mandate is then to, to do so. And, and from there, we have organized ourselves within different uh, bodies or, or, or teams really to, to be able to take those steps. So that's really what the role is all about. Okay, that sounds really interesting and plenty to dig into uh, throughout this conversation. Mm-hmm. So as I understand, the last time we, we had a quick call uh, before this, you know, organizing this podcast, you were telling me that you were just back from a NATO event related to sustainability. Is that right? That is right. And this is really interesting also because uh, NATO has committed, obviously, to, to a lot of um, steps ahead. And, and one of the challenges that we we are facing uh, as a planet as an industry uh, and also as uh, uh, companies is obviously the the climate risk or the climate change or, or you may also say the cl- climate crisis uh, and that has uh, made NATO to commit to a net zero uh, statement by 2050 and obviously this is a huge commitment uh, and this invitation uh, 23rd of, of January was to the industry uh, to discuss uh, the art of the possible and, and the really interesting here is not as opposite of operational capacity but really how can we enhance the operational capacity within defense within defense uh, companies within the industry. How can we use technologies uh, to to be lighter, quicker? And and the the two main things the conference uh, was focusing on was adaption to climate change, and the second part, which is only 
also back to to capacities in, in the industries is mitigation uh, and also the I would say the responsibility and again opportunities for the industry to contribute uh, to the the change in society the needed change and, and obviously again um, to move um, defense together with the civil transition in society towards net zero. So some first steps uh, to be concrete, not just on a, a high uh, level of commitments, but to really see what are the solutions then? And uh, what would the cooperation uh, within NATO look like uh, in the future? Absolutely. So I have a couple of questions on this on that basis, obviously. But before I go into those, I wanted to ask you, were there many other counterparts to your job in other uh, defense industries? I mean, this is, again, something that I don't think many people know about. So do you have many other colleagues in other companies? Yes, we do, uh, which is the good part about it, because right. this is nothing you can do, obviously, by yourself. Uh, you need partnership, you need uh, infrastructure, uh, you need to cooperate uh, between different countries when it comes to technologies, when it comes to, again, infrastructure, when it comes to how, in the end, we do need um, governments, our customers, really, to, to drive uh, the change also from their part. They do, but perhaps they, they can do it more clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I would say, even though uh, I can't mention any names and so the, the conference were on the Chatham House Rules. Of course. Uh, but, but, of course, yes. But again, uh, I, I think everyone was, was really clear about that we do need a clear commitment from the governments because the, the industry is really ready uh, and want to deliver to, the, to both uh, challenges. Right. And I guess this leads us nicely into the next question I had for you, which is actually, how does NATO as an alliance sees its role in tackling the challenges of adaptation to climate change and mitigation? Could you perhaps tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So it's really in the starting phase, I would say, to find out uh, how would the the work ahead uh, sort of bring again the the partnerships and the real results uh, so so i wouldn't say we're really there to say these exact technologies or, or these exact uh, ways ahead uh, so that is interesting within itself because it really comes back to we know we have a urgency to to find solutions uh, we know there are certain technologies that we do can rely on today however uh, I would say one of the interesting things and, and really important parts, again, is the, the push within the whole value chain to, yes. to make the change happen, uh, to, to have, again, um, the drive from, from the governments, the customers to say, this is important for us. Uh, this is important because it will actually mean something for operational capacity. Um, and again, um, a conversation that we came back to during the conference was how defense needs to move together with the rest of the society, with the civil part. When when the um, civil transition towards electrification, towards, again, fit for the 55 in, in Europe and another net zero 
um, changes of policies uh, drivers sort of come uh, come come through when through the technology changes we need to be uh, aligned to that change uh, so the net to zero and further steps ahead is of course really important to to keep the pace with the rest of society yeah and um I remember going to an event uh, last year or two years ago uh, where your um, the, the Swedish chief of Navy was present. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also saying uh, um, that in Sweden there is a very strong, um, how should I put this, belief and an and intention to, to work the military together with the civil uh, aspect of thing, with, with civil society. Civil society has a, a big role to play in defense, obviously also in the environment, in sustainability. So there's, yes, in Sweden, there's this really strong sense of the military working together with the civil um, Mm. society. Now, I guess the question I have is, how do you achieve that? How, what does this mean in concrete terms? Mm -hmm. I I mean, again, it is um, different ways of partnerships, different ways of, of, cooperating between uh, perhaps a defense company as a sub uh, together with a transport um, company when it comes to again electrification when it comes to infrastructure for biofuel so they the answer might be be found in in the details rather than the the big picture but of course also uh, it comes from politics it comes from where do society want to go? How, how can we drive uh, initiatives uh, from politics down to, to different industries and the responsibility within different um, authorities, industries to, to supply the authority and so forth. And Sweden do actually have a commitment for being climate neutral by 2045, a little bit ahead of, of the European Union and five years obviously then ahead of, of nature as well. Um, and that will require a transition, a change uh, within different industries, within the behavior really in society. And of course, the again, the politics and the understanding, I would say, um, from from authorities to, to really want to create that change. But the thing is here, it, it really goes too slowly. Right. So <laughs> that's the challenge we have. <laughs> well, so you, as you were saying, I mean, you are aware, there is this awareness of the technologies that exist out there that can mm. help. So what's holding everything back? Is it the fact that we are not all working together as we should? Is it the fact that technologies aren't going fast enough or the military aren't adopting them fast enough? Where, where's the hitch? Mm. And, and I think the, the point you're at, it's really the combination of everything. And, and also... Um, I, I think being quite new to the defense industry might be a little bit of a history uh, mm-hmm. that defense weren't really included in, in, in these, weren't needed for security reason to uh, to really be part of the of, of the sustainability transition. Um, there might be certain criteria that wouldn't apply to defense and so forth. Um, and I think the understanding is moving really quickly now. But again, for for both adaptation reasons and for mitigation reasons, uh, I believe it has to to go 
really uh, much faster uh, because things are happening out there. And it's really, I would say, it's a matter of um, energy um, supply, security of supply also. Uh, and then it's about geopolitics coming back to defense. So the circle uh, really means logical uh, reasons for, for taking faster steps to, to adapt and to mitigate. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think, um, again, you know, I'm more Navy focused, but um, I know that, for instance, there there is a, a requirement at IMO level, uh, International Maritime Organization, for shipping companies to, you know, to, um, to respect certain levels of pollutants, to remove certain pollutants, but navies are exempt of um, mm. respecting mm. this. Uh, mm. um, we're starting to see now a few navies that are aiming to respect IMO um, specifications, but again, you know, they're not required to. Yeah. At the same time, um, there are certain ports that are putting uh, restrictions on ships that do not meet certain standards. So I guess here we're seeing in action what you were saying is the military willingness together with certain maybe um, restrictions or constraints from governments and, and maybe also civil society because at the end of the day governments respond to civil society or, or at least we hope they do <laughs> um, but uh, you were mentioning before aviation so i know next to nothing about aviation and fuels do you can you maybe expand a little bit more about this what's going on there yeah um I might perhaps reflect that on our own work and what we have found and co committed to. Sure. Uh, because when we started the the um, retake, I would say, on our sustainability journey uh, 2021, uh, it was really to find where, where do we have our largest um, polluters? Where do we need to, to really, again, on the topic, go forward? Um, and we realized since we we do want to take step forward we we had increasing requirements um from our stakeholders we had an increasing uh, willingness to contribute uh really to to create the long-term value creation of, of really to society to our uh, colleagues to our customers but also i would say to our shareholders um Again, understanding that we need to to change over time to be part of the transition, um, so we took help of um, of some international frameworks that would guide us forward, and one of them was uh, the United Nations Race to Zero. Again, a framework how we, as an industry, uh, could be climate neutral 2050. And the more um, closer goal of, of being Paris aligned and, and then the framework of, of science-based targets. Uh, and, and that is really a, a framework guiding the industry or, or guiding different industries because it's really towards each and every industry to say through your value chain, through your operations for your own production scope one and, mm -hmm. and from your bought energy scope two to your value chain of... of of suppliers to enable, and here's the, the story sort of, enable your customers to be Paris aligned, what do you need to do then? Mm -hmm. And and when we, you know, with the commitment and, and with the uh, new sort of um, 
lean forward phase of being a part of the transition in, in, in society, we could see that again when we calculate, obviously, our flights, uh, our scope one within our own operation when we test our flights, we could see that it's really, again, uh, even though we could think so, but then we had black and white on paper, it is the the uh, the fuel really from from our aviation that is the the challenge we as so many other industries really need to look at and and when then when we we start to look at well how do we have the right uh, blend uh, is it could we really use it uh, as we want to well we need a certification for this we need to to certify that the the, uh, the jets really can rely on sustainable aviation fuel. Mm-hmm. And we actually uh, flew uh, in 2017, uh, really back then, on 100% biofuel. So, of course, we, we did knew that we could do that uh, for, for you know, temporary reasons. But did we have the supply? Did we have the, again, re- the... Uh, uh, security of, of supply for, for this tripod transition. So we, both for technical reasons, we have to look into, again, what chemicals, what sort of uh, actual blend do we have in this sustainable aviation, and, and how do we then uh, use it uh, with the agreement with our customer and, and uh, everything towards uh, really, uh, again, the infrastructure. Um, and uh, the the really supply here is our true challenge. Coming back to how I mean, if we want to create the change, if we want to be part of the the civil and defense society moving together and, and really using the strength and, and the capacity and the history really uh, from from defense of solving really complex issues. Uh, we want to be part of that. We also uh, really need to work together uh, again on, on the supply issues, the infrastructure, and coming back also to the importance of the NATO discussion there of, of really creating that partnership and, and putting, I would say, um, the political discussions around this, uh, I would say, together, uh, it's not, you know, defense here, and then you have the the civil <laughs> sort of transition on, on another parallel. But but it's really how can we move this together? Yeah. So it's it's both the of course technical issues of, of finding the reliable plan for certification, mm-hmm. but again coming back to infrastructure to be able to really shift uh, towards what we want to accomplish. Right. So just to be sure I understand this, uh, very impressive, by the way, a flight 100% biofuel in 2017. Uh, mm. What was the um, the platform? What did you try this with? Oh, the Gripen, uh, the jet. Yeah. Okay. The yeah. So it was the Gripen. C. And so I guess, again, like, um, as you know, I'm our audience is both defense and non-defense. So um, to try and, and make this a bit clearer for those who may not be familiar with this, when we're talking about infrastructure and logistics, we're saying, okay, these jets may be uh, taken on missions away from Sweden, away from, from their home. And so they need to be able to refuel 
elsewhere around the world easily, right? That's the main issue. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Thanks. That that is the issue. Uh, that is one of the issues. I also would say because then you you need to rely on that you can refuel uh, in yeah. another country or at another site, but you also uh, need uh, I would say a better supply uh, yes. locally also here in 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 Sweden. Uh, so there's a there's an issue both on a local level, but on a global level, really, to, to scale up, I would say. And this is obviously one part of, of uh, the, the different proposals for how we, we really can, can uh, sort of push transport uh, overall. Of course, we have electrification as, as the main part of, of the solution for, for civil or, or for the, the, the private sector. But then you have hydrogen and you have other uh, more sophisticated, perhaps, ways of of, um, of pushing technologies forward. So, what the industry sort of can agree on is that we do need a blend of different alternatives. Uh, and and the sustainable aviation fuel is obviously a technology here and now mm-hmm. that we do can use and we can rely on that. We we obviously then at Saab again has a certification that we can rely on. Uh, so in parallel, and to be clear then with other technologies, this is a, a reliable technology currently, but still we need other alternatives to be developed. We need R&D on, on, on other uh, possibilities mm-hmm. as well. So it's, it, it's really, um, again, technology and, and the, really the details there around what the R&D yeah. that we, we need to, to make them more efficient. But again, coming back to infrastructure partnerships and politics to be sort of drivers for the change. Otherwise, technology will not solve the whole picture. Absolutely. Yes, technology mm. alone is uh, is nothing really if we don't if no people are not willing to adopt it or you know make it progress. Mm. And I really like that you mentioned the fact that. You know, these are solutions here and now, but we need to keep on looking for all sorts of different alternatives. Um, I mean, for do, for two reasons, uh, I think primarily because we're seeing more and more the fact that electrifying things might not actually be the solution to our problems, because where is all this electricity going to come from? Um, but also because, as you said, we need to be able to diversify, not put all our eggs in one basket, being able to, you know, rely on different fuels and different energy sources in case, you know, as we're seeing now with the war in Ukraine, in case anything goes wrong and one of these sources is no longer available with the same facility, with the same ease. So I guess my question uh, more specifically now would be, at what stage of this whole process and your pretty impressive ambition are you at at Saab? What uh, concrete steps are you taking at the moment? Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Um, well, we are on the journey, I would say. Mm-hmm. We, again, we committed to race to zero and science-based targets uh, in 2021, or late 2021, I would say. Um, again, we established um, sustainability board, uh, sustainability councils to be able to gather uh, capacities within Saab, within mm-hmm. different mandates, um, group functions, uh, business areas and so forth. So we really could uh, put up the, the best team effort in solutions. Mm-hmm. And of course, we were proud of um, 
in December last year, 2022, to as the first uh, defense company to have our science-based targets approved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we have the ticket that we actually, within the whole life cycle again, from scope one, two, and three, suppliers and enable the solutions to our customers, we are on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and of course, that is a important um, step for the, the internal teams to, to say that, you know, with all the uh, intense efforts that you put in into the work for the, the last year or years uh, is really worth uh, your, your efforts. But again, we do not have all the solutions. Again, I had said so many times, but we, we do need the partnerships and we need the push from the governments much more uh, because we're ready to, to deliver. We're ready because we have technologies today, but again, we're also ready because we need to, to work so much more closely together with the technologies of tomorrow, with the new solutions, with the new ways of working. Uh, and again, coming back to... As an example, you said, uh, what supplies of, of fuel would we have in other countries or in, in, in other places than the, the one on our operation, so to speak. So I, I would say we we are on a way. We have a new strategy. We have set our plan uh, and we have sort of created new organizations internally. We do work together with other industries, with within the industry, again, as you say, who, who were attending the, the NATO conference. Um, and there are working groups between uh, the civil side of, of aviation, as well as, um, as sort of within um, our own industry. So we're on, on the way, but of course we, we need, um, again, to, to find new solution. We don't have the answers to, to all the, the challenges really that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you'd be having the Nobel Peace Prize if you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, again, it, I think the the uh, the commitments. Again, we were starting off with that uh, conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. How how many other companies were there at the NATO conference? How how is the understanding now? Uh, moving quite quickly within the the industry uh, mm-hmm. towards also contributing to sustainability, mm-hmm. and if we can see that true commitment to sustainability um, deliver results now, uh, and if we can see that defense is included more clearly again coming back to not perhaps the Nobel Prize but the you know the climate um, conferences uh, mm-hmm. of parties. Uh, mm-hmm. The COP27, uh, the, the COP28 is coming up. And mm-hmm. if we could see how defense also can contribute uh, further into the, again, adaptation and the mitigation part also in that type of conversation, I would say we've come quite far. And, and to see from uh, being uh, exempted in, in, in other ways, we, we really are willing to, to contribute. Uh, in another mm-hmm. way than perhaps we have seen before. Yes, and I think you know you were we were talking about uh, willingness and and, and readiness uh, to to support. And I guess when we talk in partnerships, it's good also for 
governments and civil society to know, to be aware that defense is also interested yes. in this. Yes. So I guess that's what you mean when you say, you know, these, you know, companies and, and, um, and people like you being present in these spaces yeah. and showing yeah. that there's a willingness. Yeah. And of course, it's not just people like me, but it's our chief of technologies mm-hmm. uh, in, in different companies. It, it's really the, the whole executive team. Again, coming back to, I mean, it's quite obvious. We, we on the part of, of climate, we, we have a crisis and we yes. need to adapt to that. And, and also if, uh, if we sort of embrace mitigation uh, again for defense, it would mean that we will adapt to, to the civil transition and we will also mm-hmm. use also, also those capabilities of, of driving defense to be more operational capable uh, in the future and everything to that uh, also comes back to again being a driver for value creation um, within the company but also on the broader scale uh, to society and and not the least I would say and and perhaps you haven't touched about that in our conversation still but but of course it's, it's a matter of how we also need to recruit and and uh, attract younger uh, employees uh, here and now but also in the future and this is a natural component not just to the the people that work with sustainability but i would say for the younger generation uh, so so to be able again on a long-term value creation to attract the best talents this is for us uh, a, an important parameter to to work on and then again, would create a positive spiral of, of having the best on board and being able then to, to deliver the best uh, capabilities in the future also. Absolutely. And I think it's it's great that you opened up on that because my uh, my next question was going to be, you know, uh, what, what the next steps will be uh, for Saab? Because um, I was reading actually just this morning about the uh, the Marine Nationale, the French Navy, and the fact that they were talking exactly about what you said, you know, being able to recruit, as we all know, uh, navies, armies are having very hard time recruiting people, and being able to show that there is a commitment to helping reduce um, the climate crisis is is definitely an important aspect of recruitment. So I guess this would be one of the next milestones uh, at Saab. What what other milestones can we look forward to in the next months and years in this uh, race to uh, to zero? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think um, in, in relation to that, it, it's really important, I, I think, to drive also the green and the social agenda together. Uh, and that means that we are also focusing, as we have done historically, but even more on occupational health and safety, mm-hmm. not just for our own colleagues, but also for the value chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, also a, within that space of, of driving diversity and inclusion, gender, of course, being an important issue also, but, but really to create a, a culture of inclusion, to create a... A, a way of working really to uh, attract again with a uh, willingness to contribute to change but but really to retain also uh, the best talents um, so uh, of course the that social part uh, within the whole value chain and within our own operations is really important yes uh, but I, I think that 
another part also is how we constantly uh, need to sort of deliver trust uh, to our stakeholders mm-hmm. and trust that we are truly committed to sustainability and that we want to to tell our story what we do what we uh, again what we want to do what we want to create partnerships and so forth um and on that uh, topic how we uh, need to be more transparent mm-hmm. and and better understood i would say how we manage our risks and, and also how we take care of the opportunities we see um again, within climate, within how we want to really um, attract the best and, and have them to stay uh, with everything we need to do then. Uh, but also for an important part, of course, uh, of the market, and that is our investors, mm-hmm. um, shareholders, um, and um, credit providers, uh, how we uh, have welcomed uh, quite a few uh, back to, to defense, um, mm-hmm. but how we constantly need to um, demonstrate to, to all our stakeholders, and uh, but perhaps specifically this um, space of stakeholders within the finance sector, um, how we are truly committed to sustainability and, and as a company, uh, constantly will continue the journey and, and, uh, and uh, deliver results also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I remember we we've had this uh, this conversation before about the finance mm-hmm. sector, and um, mm-hmm. we were saying there is something already like put in place like this in the shipping industry with the Poseidon principles. So, is there a move to have something fairly similar at the defense level, or are we moving more in terms of um, public-private partnerships uh, that are you know each defense company is is taking up with the funding mechanisms how how is it happening at the moment mm. i would say um there are several discussions on um, how uh, we can uh, be better understood and how perhaps how uh, sustainability criteria on our industry could be um uh, more clearly um sort of described and we do have international uh, conventions and and frameworks that we can report towards i believe those frameworks already exists mm-hmm. uh, or exist in terms of of how we uh, know that uh, we need to report uh, on the the current um, sustainability reporting directives and there mm-hmm. are more directives to come especially from the European Union right. um, so I, I think um, once we demonstrate again the willingness to to contribute to, to the results not just to report but reporting uh, requires action of course and, and, and in the end commitments and so forth and um, I, I, I believe that uh, just by working with that and de- delivering and understanding the reasons behind the reporting requirements or, or the international conventions, that it actually also makes sense for the defense uh, sector and particularly the defense uh, companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say we are on the way to be better understood and, and to to have a better conversation perhaps with uh, finance. Is there a need for for more cooperation? Certainly, uh, mm-hmm. but I think also 
another uh, interesting discussion actually at, at NATO as well. Do we need more standards? Um, I would say perhaps not. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say so. Do we really? <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, I would just use the you know the industry neutral standards and, and try to to see how you can have a better discussion with uh, certain stakeholders around that. Yes. So uh, cooperation again, partnerships, and, yeah. and I'm really glad to have the opportunity here now and, and uh, to, to raise the issues and discuss perhaps solutions forward with you. So thank you. Yes, well, Eva, it's been an absolute pleasure having these conversations with you today. Um, thank you so much again for doing me the honor of being the first guest on this podcast series on sustainability in defense. And thank you, a little shout out as well to Connor Walker for making this possible, organizing everything. Um, who knows, perhaps we can do another episode in a year's time to see how Sabi's doing. But until then, thanks so much again, Eva, and um, take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. So there you have it, folks. Bringing sustainability into the world of defense is not just about defense key actors' willingness to get involved. It is also very much about other stakeholders, such as governments, civil society, and the finance sector, making room for defense actors at the negotiation table. In other words, it's about partnerships. There will be much more about this in future episodes, but for the next one, to be released on March the 3rd, we will take a break from industry talk and venture instead into the realm of history and inventions. So don't forget to spread the word, and until then, au revoir et à bientôt.